Welcome to the Built On Air Podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. In each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern and join our active community at BuiltOnAir.com. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OnToAir Backups. OnToAir Backups provides automated Airtable backups to your cloud storage for secure and reliable data protection. Prevent data loss and set up a secure Airtable backup system with OnToAir Backups at OnToAir.com. As one customer, Sarah, said, Having automated Airtable backups has freed up hours of my time every other week and the fear of losing anything. Longtime customer David states, OnToAir backups might be the most critical piece of the puzzle to guard against unforeseeable disaster. It's easy to set up, and it just works. Join Sarah, David, and hundreds more Airtable users like you to protect your Airtable data with OnToAir backups. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OnToAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome back. We are in episode two of season 16 of the Built on Air podcast. Good to be back with everybody. We have with us today myself, Ali, and Camille, as always, and special guest, Melanie Smith. Welcome, Melanie. Good to have you on our show. We will uh, we'll learn more about Melanie and her story and what she's up to later in the show. But uh, I will kick us off with what we're going to be talking about today. The Built on Air podcast is an hour-long show where we talk about everything Airtable, keep you up to date on all things Airtable. We always start with our round the bases of what people are talking about in the different communities, new features, new functionality from Airtable. Then a quick shout out to OnToAir, our primary sponsor. And then we'll learn more about Melanie and what she has going on and how she came into this world of Airtable. And then Melanie is going to walk us through uh, one of her bases and call that she calls the Tech Vault. And then great name, yeah. And we will uh, give a shout out to how to join our community. And then finally, Camille is going to finish up. If you watched last week's episode, this is a continuation on using N8N with Airtable and some automation work on that front. So with that around the bases. Um, first thing I was going to highlight, obviously, I don't think any of us are in France right now, but there is a big conference going on in France, uh, the No Code Summit, which I believe is a is a organization based in, in France. And um, I know there are some people in our community that are out there, so shout out to them. Uh, hopefully you're having fun, but if you want to follow what's going on, this is their, their Twitter handle. Um, I think they had a live stream going. Yeah, it might be going right now, or maybe this is a replay. Um, so fun stuff. I don't, I haven't seen any announcements or anything. I, I do believe Airtable was there. This was a bigger one than, than just Airtable. So it was kind of all no code, low code platforms, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah. Yeah, I saw a photo of some of um, you know, fellow consultants just sort of at a cafe 
you know, yeah. just a group a group photo in France. And like, Jealous. Ne next year, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. 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 I think there is people that have been on the show that are presenting and so good stuff going on there. Okay. As far as um, announcements, there was one announcement from Airtable. Um, new formatting options. Who's had a chance to play with this and can walk us through the updates? I am slightly confused about them because my I couldn't see them in a currency field, but in this screenshot, you know, it has the uh, dollar sign for, you know, the second number. So I don't know if my, it just isn't fully rolled out yet, but I tried it yesterday and wasn't able to get it to do it in currency fields. I did it. I was able to do it with a formula that's formatted as a currency. So I don't know. If I, couldn't, I couldn't do that either. So, so yes, it's there for number, just to explain what it is. It's, um, you could already have had uh, decimal places, but now you can control the formatting as in, is the uh, comma your thousand separator or is it your decimal? Mm -hmm. um, and then um, you, I like that there's an option for a local. So it presumably will read your browser settings and will adapt if you're in America where we use a comma for the thousand separator or period. If you're, I think Europe uses periods. Yeah. Um, you can also abbreviate large numbers. Um, one of my colleagues here has been asking for this specifically for currency fields, which is why I was surprised I, I couldn't see it. I'm sure it's probably there today. But yes, you can shorten things up to if you're dealing with millions um, as a number, you can just put the M symbol, which makes numbers much smaller and easier to understand. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not seeing the currency placeholder. Well, it would be a, a, a currency field still. Can you change the type uh, to currency? That's what I got to. Which at this point, do we need a separate field type? No. Right. Yeah. Okay, so you have the options. I didn't have the options. I assume it will show up in my account today. I was trying on an enterprise account, which is why I was surprised. Yeah. Scott Rouse yep. says most countries are opposite of what America does in terms of comma <laughs> versus period. This is true. I, I know a lot of, especially European users, were asking for this for years now. So this is really exciting stuff, I'm sure, for them. Yes. If there were ever a week to release it, it's when you have a no-code conference in France. Absolutely. I'm still uh, waiting for the ability to format currency um, values with a formula so you can get a currency string. That would yes. be the biggest thing for me. I would kill for that. I would but, agree. I think there surely there's some, you know, it, it, this is all code underneath. I would love if that were a formula function as well, that um, if I needed text along with whatever number is being represented, I could format it um, with a, a decimal separator, a comma separator, or abbreviated, that'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah, two things, two things that I think are still needed. One is um, the ability to just set like 
the defaults because you have to do this on every field. You have to configure it, right? So it's pretty annoying if you want a standard currency across all your base. You got to go to every field. So if you're using lots of field numbers formatting, it would be nice to set like a base level default. I would um, agree. Way back when I made a script and also a custom app that was never released that would bulk change um, field configuration options. It obviously is incompatible with these new settings because they were added recently and I can't see them in my account to test them. But um, it is possible to develop a solution that will kind of run through every number field or currency field in your base and adjust the, the settings for you. Although, feels like that should be a first party feature and not something that you would have to code yourself, which is why I never released it. But it is possible. <laughs> well, do we know if these new features can be updated that way? These new settings? They, they certainly should. I feel like it would be weird if they added a different, under the hood, if you've ever played with um, creating a new field or editing fields programmatically, um, each field type has an options parameter and under options, it will change depending on the type of field. So for currency and number, it used to be decimal places, um, which was, you know, some number up to 10, I think. And now it would make sense to me to put that as a property under that same options parameter for uh, thousands of seconds for abbreviation. If they put it somewhere else, I think that's poor design. I'm going to assume they, they were consistent. Well, one thing um, that I don't believe is there yet is um, so like you, I think Gally mentioned that under the hood, this is still just a number. So if you're using a third party tool like a portal or something, this information does not get passed along yet in the API. And so you can't. So it the formatting does not carry forward in other tools, which is unfortunate. So those tools, you would have to configure them again to format it the way you want if they support it. Right. When you're scripting in inside of Airtable, you have the option of doing get cell value or get cell value as string. I wish the API had the same thing. Because if you got the cell value as a string, presumably it would read dollar sign 61.9M. Um, so you wouldn't have to format it you know, yourself in whatever you know, front end you're using. It wouldn't be a number, obviously, because M and dollar sign aren't numerical. It would save you time. Yeah. 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 Well, this is a huge, you know, monumental. I think this is probably one of the top requested features for 10 years. Yeah. It's finally there to some to some extent. Awesome. So. That is good. Uh, here's some discussion. Uh, Meredith says, hallelujah, <laughs> commas, periods, way more formatting for number and currency fields now available. So uh, lots of discussion here in the Built on Air community about it. And I know I saw it on Reddit and Facebook and other places. So that is good. It's finally going out. Uh, okay, continuing on with the, the Built on Air community. Um, this was something I first saw this from Scott. I also saw this posted elsewhere, but mentioning that the the paste feature where it would auto expand rows, some 
at some point a few days ago broke and um, I haven't tested this. What does it actually do? Does it just not, it just doesn't paste the rows that you were pasting? I've seen it not paste and I've also seen it like kind of transpose all the values to vertical instead of actually in all of the fields that you're trying to paste it into. I have not tested it in the last two days though. Um, hopefully, I know that a couple people reached out to support and support was like, yeah, that's a known issue. We're, we're working on it. Um, but I don't know the it update. It's like as of a day ago, it was still happening. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's unfortunate that that, uh, cause that's, that's been there. That was, that's been there from the early days. And it's very useful. I mean, you, it's pretty common. You paste and expand the table. <laughs> yeah, I think the workaround is probably to, if you right click on a table name, you can do um, import or insert one of those and paste table data is an option. So you'd, you'd likely be able to do it there. I don't think the bug affects that method, but it is less convenient and it means you can't do it from within an interface. So uh, yeah. hope that it is fixed soon. Absolutely. That is the workaround that Airtable suggested. Um, I think it was Brandy that shared a screenshot of support's response to her in the Facebook group. Um, and they recommended exactly what Camille just said in the interim. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. So hopefully they, they get that fixed. You would think that would be like, <clears throat> it was working before, so the code is there. You think it wouldn't be too hard to bring it back. <clears throat> yeah, I don't I don't know what recent update would have broken that feature. So Yeah, yeah. It's also good to know that I'm not the only one that releases bugs and production code and breaks things. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, here's one. Um, this was kind of cool. Marcus um, in the Built On Air community gives a shout out to the podcast. We did an episode a few, I think it was last uh, season and using the sleep feature. And he reached out to me and said, hey, can I get that script um, to basically put a pause in your automation? And I thought this was kind of cool how he uses it. So basically, um, he doesn't show the base, but my assumption is he's expecting people to fill out um, things and um, <clears throat> then you can click a button to like validate the the record to see if everything has been filled out correctly. And if you haven't filled something out, it must update a cell that says you forgot to fill this out. And then it waits there like 30 seconds to, to see, um, to give you time to fill it out or something. So. It's kind of interesting built like uh, UI inside of automations. You don't see that very often. Very cool. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, that is cool. All right, continuing on, here's another one. Um, this was kind of cool. This was, uh, I saw it on Twitter or on X and uh, Ian um, put together a base that pulls data from Zillow if you're if you're house shopping or looking and he actually kind of created 
um, the site. He put it up on Product Hunt, and so you can actually um, purchase it. What I liked about this is, you know, Airtable. I think lots of people have always kind of had this idea of using Airtable as like a a, a way to build some kind of mini app and then sell that app. Um, but it, it's not great. Like there's a lot of issues with it that it hasn't worked out well, but this was kind of a, a good use case of it that um, it's not too difficult. So basically how it works is you, I guess you pick um, the market that you want and then you, and then you duplicate the base and then he must have automations in there that um, pull from the API to populate um, the, the market that you're looking for. And so kind of a cool use case of actually um, being able to repurpose a mini application that, that could have commercial use built inside of Airtable. So Very we'll cool. see, good luck with that. I don't know how much it costs. Let's see how much it costs, $40. So, oh, monthly. Per month, yeah. $30 a month. <laughs> okay, good luck with that. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so it is possible to, to build some kind of business application directly in Airtable. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, any comments? No, exciting stuff. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, I would love for Airtable to make it actually possible to do this more and and uh truly use it as a as a platform to build and sell commercialized apps but not quite there yet yeah i think the biggest um, it would probably be like pushing you can't push new updates to the people that have right. duplicated your template so it's like whatever time you duplicate that template it's frozen you don't get the new features yeah so yeah yeah yeah, that's that's why I never really went down that path. I've had lots of ideas of things that could be done, but more headache, I think, than than benefit at this point. Yeah. Okay, um, so moving on to table forums, um, a great uh, website for communication or discussion of of Airtable related stuff. Um, Scott did just a shout out to Scott, uh, who I think is on listening. Um, he did a webinar with um, using Airtable and NoLoco, and he, he also demoed how to use NoLoco on our show um, on the last, uh, last season, and so went into more detail. This was sponsored with NoLoco and um, gives great insight into that. So if you're looking for a portal, I feel like I'm seeing NoLoco more and more. Maybe it's just from Scott, but I've seen it from other people promoting it more. Um, so this is starting to get a lot more traction as being a, a viable solution at the portal side. Excellent. And then lastly, also from the table forums, um, only in, you know, amongst real Airtable enthusiasts will you get such a heated discussion of check boxes versus drop downs versus text fields. Um, but it's a great question. Airbender Marcus asks, when do you use checkboxes? When, when should you use a single select field or a text field to kind of automate um, triggers and whatnot? So good discussion. Um, Scott, 
talks about not using text fields because of the issue of typing and that will trigger the automation multiple times. So mm -hmm. a drop down is, is beneficial to just trigger it on select. And then Kavan goes into more detail on kind of all the pros and cons of each and when you might use one versus the other. I tell people whenever I'm doing consulting or I'm setting something up, I really try hard to steer people away from checkbox fields. They're so easy to accidentally check and uncheck without even noticing you did it. Um, the single select field requires two clicks, so it's much more intentional if you want to change that value. And that's generally what I'll do is I'll have a single select field. One of the options has like a little lightning bolt emoji that's like start automation or whatever. I'll name it appropriately. And so if you set it to that, it's much more intentional. It actually triggers the automation. And then that same automation can change the value to say automation run or whatever. Um, I find it so much more safe, I guess for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm similar in my methodology. Um, I do have several instances now where I'll build um, a base and interface for you know, the intended team, but they don't have access to the base. So in those instances, I might have a automation run off a checkbox because it's triggered by a button click in an interface. And um, it basically means you can only click it once, which sometimes is intentional. Like apply this template. I only want you to do that once. You shouldn't be reapplying a template four times to the same record. But in the instance where you may not want or need that, or if you want to have, you know, to report to the end user if an automation failed, what the error was, sometimes I'll use a single select field and have extra options for error record not found or error run runtime error or something like that so you could communicate not only did it fail why rather than them having to like dig through their emails and trying to find those kind of alerts absolutely yeah, yeah here's one here's a counter argument for checkboxes over single selects is that single selects can come sometimes get overridden with non-wanted values. If you like paste accidentally into it, you'll get, mm -hmm. it'll automatically add that value to the dropdown list. Mm -hmm. um, or you can create it. A lot of times I'll like misspell something and then like hit enter and it creates the misspelled version mm -hmm. and adds that to the dropdown. So there are some caveats to dropdowns. But also yeah. similar with, with checkboxes, you can't set a default value, um, but you can with single select. So that's a plus for single select. I like to use single selects, especially in interfaces to trigger different automations. Like, like Cause then I can just use one automation and the button on the page. I have several different buttons that set that same single select to different values. So then I can use conditional logic and be like, if it, if the value is this, do this part. If it's this, do this part. And it saves on the number of automations I have to have. Yeah. Uh, it's which, great not to have 10 trigger fields. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah exactly what um, Jan said there. I like the idea of an action field to host multiple triggers. That's exactly what I do. I usually call it interface actions. And it's just the, like field that 
not visible in the interface, but the buttons all drive it. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, so hopefully that's some um, some best practices for you to carry out in your in your builds. And that kind of concludes, you know, last week there was a lot of discussion of, of news and updates. This week was relatively quiet. Um, one major new feature, one major new bug. I'll par for the course with their table. <laughs> I have one other bug that it keeps happening. I don't know if I'd call it a bug, but um, some people were talking about it in the community or on Facebook, where in Chrome, Chrome thinks that every keystroke I make is a password field in Airtable now. So like oh, really? if I search for a field name or if I'm even if I'm scripting or like anything, I'll type something and it'll be like, do you want to update your password to first name? Like huh. it's and it's infuriating. It's like been going on for at least a week now and it really is bothersome. Interesting. Yeah. Some of I haven't my noticed users have that reported that as well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that would be annoying. So they must have done some kind of update to their UI cells. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they switched out a library or something or updating. Possibly. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's on Airtable or Chrome side, but Airtable is the only site that it's happening to me on. So I'm guessing it's on Airtable's side. Yeah. 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 So, well, all right, Airtable, get to work, make those fixes. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about backups. So, yeah, you want your data not get overridden with passwords and whatnot. So, you want to back up your data outside of Airtable. That's best practice. Onto our backups is the solution for that. We'll help get all your data plus your attachments and um, outside store it in Box, Dropbox, or Google Drive to make sure that your data is secure and available if anything were happen, would happen to your Airtable account. Um, and so today we're talking about snapshots. We're talking about that all month. We have a new guide that will explain everything there is to know about snapshots, how they work in Airtable. And thought we'd end with a comedic relief um, Hannah posted this in the built on air community. Always make sure to have screenshots. I've dropped the database, but don't worry. I made a screenshot. You mean snapshot, snapshot, right? <laughs> so difference between a screenshot and a snapshot. We want snapshots for backups. Yeah. Ideally. Ideally. Yes. Screenshots maybe gives you a little bit. You'd have to retype it all yourself, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so check us out on air.com you can also use uh, built on air for a discount when you sign up and that will help you out so all right let's move on melanie let's learn a little bit about melanie yay welcome thank you it's great to be here great to have you on the show uh, do you want to maybe start out by telling us a little bit about your background and how you discovered Airtable? Sure. Um, I am a computer scientist by education and um, 
quickly learned that I really didn't enjoy coding. Um, so I've always been someone who looks for the tools that um, just don't need as much coding support. Um, but I love data. And so, um, you know, databases are kind of my love language. And so being able to combine those two, I think I looked at Airtable a long, long time ago and just wasn't totally impressed. And then I found it again, maybe a year ago, um, and kind of fell in love with it. I was like, this is what access was supposed to be back in the days of Windows 95. And, um, you know, all of the, all of that kind of era. But um, anyway, I've a client turned me onto it again, and had me kind of redo their their database. And I was like, man, this is a really solid tool. Um, I am dealing with a little bit of I call it software rage um, after all of the pricing changes. And that kind of has changed some of the plans for um, what I'm actually going to show you guys today. But um, anyway, it's been a good relationship so far, for the most part. That's wonderful. I appreciate the decor in the background oh, really man. driving home your values. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. two could have one. Oh, it's a wait. Here we go. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, Etsy, um, great place. Love that binary heart. That's yeah. great. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. So, um, were you doing consulting work before you discovered Airtable? And yeah, yeah. So I started Blue Tree Data in 2017, and um, with the hopes of doing analytics for whoever would pay me dollars. Um, and what I realized is that no one was ready to do analytics. They needed help with like, do we even have data? Um, and what does that data look like? And is it clean? Is it reliable? And how do you deal with that? And, oh gosh, our software doesn't work together and all of those things. And so I kind of morphed from, I would say, the data science, data analytics kind of area back into, I would call it data architecture and data warehousing and that sort of thing. So um, I worked across a bunch of verticals, hospitals, um, engineering, finance, um, nonprofit world, um, all different kinds of genres, um, they all have the same needs. They all have messy data. They need somebody to clean it up before you can actually make it useful. So I've spent a long time doing um, just kind of that data warehousing fundamentals. And I'm finally raising up better clients that are ready to kind of go to that next step. I mean, it's a smaller percentage than the ones that just need cleanup, but um, it's definitely a fun space. Absolutely. And do you use Airtable to do a lot of that normalization of the data? So I actually have more complex use cases than what Airtable can handle. Um, so we use a lot of Tableau prep um, in the background. And I've been exploring Trifacta, which is an Altrix product that is white labeled by both Google and Amazon. Um, and it's it's a super expensive tool, but um, it's it's a nicer tool, more mature tool than Tableau prep, but they all do that ETL work of, um, you know, sucking data out and transforming it and putting it into a good format. And then usually once that flow runs, I will then import it into Airtable if that's the end goal there. So. Excellent. Excellent. So are you using um, a lot of like the data visualization tools in Airtable now or are you actually building out like full on like apps and 
Yeah, I would say both and. Um, for super simple use cases, Airtable is great. Um, I'll show you a couple of the, you know, simple stuff. Um, but I would say the majority of my clients need something more like a Power BI or yeah. whatnot. Um, so mm -hmm. it's it's kind of a it's a trade off, right? Of you can have real time connected to your data, but super simple. Or you can, you know, go this other path and and go Power BI, Tableau, whichever front end. So. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's, it's cool. The, the charts are nice, but they're not quite where. Right. <laughs> exactly. If you want to hit a wall fast, try and make a pivot table. I, I, You're going to run into several limitations. Yeah, it's, it's rough. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to see what you've got to show. If you want to share your screen and give us yeah. a Let me yeah, absolutely. segment real quick. Um, sorry my bad just a second all right so yeah you're going to show us your your tech vault if you want to get yeah. your screen ready let me um i'm going to try to pull this out so i can see you guys at the same time so hopefully that doesn't mess up my sharing yeah you're good perfect all right um so i'm just going to start on the interface side because i think that that is the majority of where we um use this tool um but so kind of the use case for it was um because we do a lot of data cleanup we are trying to um just figure out how to document what everybody has. I get lost a lot in, you know, you have 40 clients and which version of QuickBooks are you on? And, you know, what tool are you sucking data out of? And where is it all headed and all of that? So I needed something to kind of be the CRM of technology for my clients because everyone has a fairly complicated stack um, and all of that. And all the CRM tools, you can kind of, some of them you can finagle to kind of track some of that, but it's not, it's not elegant. It's not really, it doesn't have all the reporting that I would love to have. Um, so part of what we have been doing is building this out as just kind of, this is our internal documentation for those types of client projects. And then all of a sudden I realized, hey, this could actually be useful to the client for all these things that people don't love doing. And why not have both be true? Um, so what you're seeing today, I call it the tech vault because it is um, basically all the metadata about all the tools that are part of your toolbox. Um, I'm super original with my naming. So um, suggesting you're welcome. <laughs> So um, this is just kind of the dashboard, but I'll come back to it in a second. This is the core of the data is just the toolbox of um, here's all the technology um, that is, you know, in use. Um, it is um, it's got a lot of just metadata about it. Um, and what I really love is that I've gotten all the formulas down here of here's your cost per user, here's your, you know, base cost that's maybe annual, and then you have a monthly user cost or whatever. Um, so it gets to where you can get a comfortable annual cost in there. Um, I can add users to the paid list or the free list because um, most tools have, you know, some kind of combination there. Um, renewals are in here. The renewal frequency is in here. Um, I always forget about those renewals that are every three years or something like that. And I forget to put it in the budget. And then I feel very sad. Um, when that comes around. And so this is just kind of 
you know, my brain needs it. Um, but what's really cool is that I have linked this to what I just call base tables. Um, and so if you think of just CRM tables of this is the, um, where we've got all the logos loaded and most of the websites, we're still filling in the privacy and security policies, um, compliance capabilities, um, because we deal with a lot of, um, clients with sensitive kind of data. So just being able to know if, um, if a tool is capable of a certain compliance standard, um, and then having the, you know, what type of licenses um, and what kind of nonprofit discounts. Um, if you don't live in the nonprofit world, generally software tools are very generous with different types of discounts. And so um, some of them publish it on the website. Some of it you have to go through TechSoup or another kind of third party verification um, and all of that. So um, this is where we have internally kind of created this base and what that means is that our clients don't have to enter all that data. So um, when I um, link the um, tool here to the tool in the base, it sucks in the logo, it sucks in, you know, all of those links. That way, um, I don't know, it's just easier. Um, we also have a ticketing thing in the background that is kind of cool. Um, so I'm not in love with my buttons yet, but um, I was trying to preserve real estate on the screen. Um, but if I go in here, and of course it's not working. Oh, because it's already there. Um, so it basically links to a record request form and there's a new or a correction option and it's pre-filled with all the URL parameters that, um, that are out there. And then just ask what needs fixing. Um, and when you, when you send that in, um, it actually creates kind of just a little ticket um, in here of here's, here's that request. Um, and then kind of some, just add it to the library if it's brand new or edit the record, just kind of some shortcuts for my office manager to go in and, um, update those records has a callback URL. We've been trying to automate. So like when this gets done, can it just automatically update, um, the other one and we're getting close. Um, we haven't won on that front yet, but it's, um, I don't know. I get excited about that kind of thing. Um, so the other button is um, the new um, thing. It's the same form. It's just different request type. Um, again, it's pre-filled with the name at least, and then they can provide some extra information if they have it. Um, and that goes through the same ticketing interface. Um, so anyway, that kind of makes it pretty easy um, for managing just the, they don't have to go look up where the security and privacy policies are. Um, so that's kind of the back end, I would say, on just the data that gets entered. Um, the renewals is something that I have been loving. Um, and being able to go here and I've got the links to the billing site and um, and I've got it where it's sending an email to ClickUp and um, some Slack messages here and there of just reminders. Because um, I don't know if you guys are like me, but it is um, a constantly evolving ecosystem of trying new tools and swapping things out. So um, being able to get those reminders in time to actually shut down the account or whatever, instead of after it charges, and then you go through the refund, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So um, this is one of my favorite pieces. 
Um, something that's interesting with nonprofit world is the concept of programs. And so being able to budget according to programs. So in small business world, that would be like product line or um, entity or something like that. Um, but basically each of the tools can be linked to whichever um, program that um, that the um organization has. So that way it comes up with a cost per program. Still working on how, if it belongs to more than one, how to split that out um, so that it's an actual um, split cost, which is very similar to like how you would split fixed assets or that kind of stuff in the accounting world. Um, so anyway, it's just, it's basic right now and it's good enough. Um, I have you know, an idea for how you might be able to do that. Oh yeah, please share. Yeah, if you uh, presumably you have an annual cost field on the uh, mm -hmm. tool level, right? Yeah. Um, you would also have a link to the program associated mm -hmm. with uh, mm -hmm. that tool. Um, I would have a count. That's how many programs is this tool included mm -hmm. in, and then a formula field that divides the annual cost by that mm -hmm. count. And then this annual cost number that we're seeing here rolls yeah. up the that that formula yeah. instead. So yeah. it's only yeah because mm -hmm. the default is going to be one right zero I guess the yeah. default is zero it's not it's not linked to anything so it yeah. shouldn't mess up your other mm -hmm. instances. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I think that would work for the cases where like level loading the cost is um, is the method. There's some more complex methods of like, mm. you know, this one has three users that are part of this and two years that are part of that. And so I would have to, I think you would have to need like a middle table to kind of define some of that, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I love your idea. That may be like a, you know, an 80% solution or something there. Mm -hmm. So thank you. That's your beta. Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so that's what these programs are. Um, then I've got the same thing for people. So um, this is me. Um, I cost my company 2800 bucks a year. Um, and I cost my other company 200 bucks a year. Um, my office manager, I've got some vendors in there that um, have, you know, some licenses that um, we either bill back to them or we just cover for them depending on the, the case there. Um, the really fun part here, I think it's fun, is that um, here's your budget. So I know that I need 11,400 a year. Um, and here's my monthly numbers. Um, I haven't figured out how to get null months um, or like months that don't need a budget to show up in the graph, but it's fine. Um, and then I've got it rolled up by quarter just to you know, show that kind of view. Um, cause you can see that we have a really big month in May where we pay a lot of bills. Um, but we have some really low months, um, later on. So being able to properly save up for that and all of those things is really great. Um, we also do a review every, at least every year, but, um, sometimes it's more often of going through all of our monthly subscriptions and logging in and making sure that we're on the best pricing so that if we need to move up to annual or whatever, um, and there's also some future consideration pieces in here. So if I'm thinking about a tool, I can kind of add that in and filter the budget differently and get kind of those numbers. Um, and then on the privacy and security side, this is something that um, 
I don't remember who it was, but it was a web developer was working on privacy policies and talking about how it just makes sense to include links of all the tools that you throw data into in your own privacy policies so that it's very clear and um, all of that. And so um, this is basically, here's the list and you can see I've got some filling in to do in that, that base table there, but um, being able to identify which ones have, you know, I call it basic PII versus sensitive PII. Um, that's really important for insurance applications and all of that. And so um, this has been really a fun project to kind of put together and just kind of dream about how it's useful um, because none of this is actually what we intended to use it for, but it's super useful for us internally. Um, so anyway, I think that that is, um, that's kind of the, the interface side of things. So that's really the bulk of what I had. I'm happy to jump into the base if there's questions or anything, but yeah. I had a business question. So do you offer this as a service to your clients of like managing yeah. and tracking there? Yeah. So it was interesting to hear your Zillow use case. Um, I really wanted to deliver this as, you know, that point in time copy of your base. Um, so everybody's base is a little bit different. It's tweaked to their needs. Um, but really the service that we're offering is this base table database of keeping that up to date. Um, and with synced tables, that makes it really easy for the data to then be pushed out to everybody. Um, I am feeling a little insecure about being able to offer that to clients on the free plan. Um, nonprofits don't have a lot of extra dollars to spend, even though Airtable has great nonprofit discounts available. Um, so anyway, I I'm still trying to figure out how that's going to land. Um, but we're working on version two. That's going to be a super base stack with a different um, front end on it. So figuring out how to keep all of that kind of master data in, in sync is going to be a really fun project um, in the near future for sure. Cool. Gotcha. Yeah. So you have a uh, So you have one, base that you keep track of everybody and then you and then mm -hmm. you have a base for each client mm -hmm. that has the interface or at least that's, the current, that's the current Airtable side design um i at one point had wanted to be able to um pull the client data back into another master base so i could run reports of how many clients are using QuickBooks Online, the nonprofit version versus the advanced version or whatever, um, and kind of run some of those metrics. But um, anyway, I think that's going to be in the version two where everybody is kind of in the same database um, to begin with. So, hmm. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, what's cool is like, this is a real product. Like I, I, I haven't done any research, but I think there are like, paid solutions that cost mm -hmm. a lot of money to kind of keep track of all of this, but yes. built it all in their table. Yeah, they do yeah. cost a lot of money and I already yeah. spend way too much money on software. So right. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. graphically, it just looks nice. It does. Have a very clearly defined color palette that you've stuck with on mm -hmm. every page, which is something I don't do, but should. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to inspire you. Um, it was actually more accidental than um, purposeful, but it does, 
it because they have the um, the drop downs that are colorful. Um, a lot of this is just because it's colored by the same drop down. So, yeah, looks great. That's awesome. Thank you. Well done. Thank you, Melanie, for sharing that with us. And people can find you, especially, do you, do you only work with nonprofits or are you open to all clients or? No. So um, I actually have in two companies. So Blue Tree Data, we work with small businesses and nonprofits. Then Data Capacity Builders is kind of our nonprofit arm that um, I am working with a finance expert to kind of collaborate and um kind of what I've done for data sets, um, she does for books and budgets and all of that. And so tying those together is what we do over there. Um, so anyway, yeah, we would welcome anybody. Great. Check yeah. her out at bluetreedata.com. And thank you, Melanie, for enlightening us with your tech vault. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, thanks for letting me um, share with everybody. Yep. All right, quick shout out. If you haven't already, please join our community, uh, builtonair.com slash join. That will get you in. We have a very active Slack community of thousands of Airtable users and fans, and you can ask questions, share what you're working on, and just join uh, an awesome community. Also, subscribe to our Built On Air uh, YouTube channel. Make sure you're getting access to all the latest um, podcast episodes. With that, Camille, let's finish up our automation sequence with N8N. There you go. Okay. So um, here's where we left off with the last episode. Just as a refresher, what I've built is a dynamic watch list, which is basically me saying here are these um, different fields in um, some base or bases in my you know workspace i want to be alerted on certain field changes but i want those alerts to go to specific people either controlled statically in this case you know always alert camille for um, this field being changed or dynamically. So in this case, alert whoever is assigned in either of these two field IDs um, for this field being changed. So the base that I'm using to demo is a simple podcast you know, tracking thing. It's one of Airtable's templates. And you can see I have two, um, I have three different assignment fields, hosts, producers, editors. And the whole idea is I have a couple of different dates and a status, and some people are gonna be interested in the recording date, and some people are gonna be interested in the release date, but it may not be necessarily both producers and editors. So that's sort of the background. And last time we made a N8N um, automation that will automatically create and update your Airtable webhooks, which are required for this particular methodology to work. And then the next step is to actually log updated changes. So in order to demonstrate that, it's pretty straightforward. Um, I'm just going to add a date um, to this field. And that's it. So in the background, uh, I should have an execution that will have run. Ooh, that's interesting. 
it's not here. Well, I'll talk through um, what should have happened in the background. Looks like, okay. So basically, uh, it's not letting me stay where I want to be. Let's see if I can force it. Technical difficulties, they're fun. Um, basically what's happening is I'm waiting on a webhook to be triggered. Um, again, those are Airtable webhooks that are fired when the specified fields are updated. Um, next, I wanna do what, um, what happens when you um, trigger a webhook in Airtable. It will just give you basic information about that webhook. What you need to do after that is get the webhook payload. So that's the information that was actually passed to that webhook um, in any of its previous iterations. Um, the next thing I'm doing is a code block that is getting the last pay, uh, payload in that um, you know array of any time it's ever been run. I only care about the most recent change because that's the one that just happened. This is using N8N's code block. Um, some of this can likely be done um, with some of their more no-code or low-code tools. For some of this process, I've just elected to just write it out in JavaScript. Um, I'm sure someone would be able to adapt this work, but I'm just transforming it by getting information that is relevant um, that I wanna store for later on in the process. The webhook ID, what was just called, the table ID, the record ID, what is the record that just changed, what, you know, give me uh, the timestamp of that change. Um, and then what's really nice about Airtable's webhooks is that it will give you the current cell values and the previous cell values. And that's what I care about because um, what I wanna do at the end of the day is send an email that says, this value went from X to Y. And I need both of those values in order to do that. This area here, the sort of diamond formation is splitting it up so that I have what did the values used to be and what are the values now organized by record and then I can compare. So using this handy um, pre-existing node, I'm able to take the row or record ID and compare it against those two different arrays and find only the field values that have changed between them. And then I just do some more uh, cleaning up that's just orienting it in a convenient uh, JavaScript object. And then from here, I'm doing a simple um, get record call from Airtable. I'm doing a filter by formula. This should be familiar if you've ever used make, it's the same process. I'm filtering down this sort of meta table that I've established, and I'm looking for um, anything that has that webhook ID. So I'm able to find the appropriate record um, that is relevant. I changed the recording date. I just know that that would be this, uh, this field here uh, for all dates, this uh, watch list. And the last bit of this um, workflow is parsing any logged changes and returning any new applicable changes. So this diamond over here is telling me what has just changed um, when this webhook was fired. Um, give me those new changes and then add it to anything that was previously logged before. 
I'm dumping all of these changes into a JSON field and you can see um, what the sort of running history is. Basically, I went in and just deleted a bunch of dates. Um, and those are sort of the pre-existing values that um, I've been recording. And then I'm combining those together and then just putting them back into Airtable. So hopefully that made sense. I now have one record in this separate base that is logging um, for as long as I want my reporting period to be. I've done this daily, you could do it weekly or monthly. Here's are all of the changes that have happened, which record changed, which field changed, what did it used to be, and what is it now? The last step in this process would be something that um, you would again have on a running schedule. Um, in this case, I believe I do it daily, um, but the general idea is whenever it's time to send these updates, find any watch list that has something to report. So in this case, these two have data in them. This one um, has no changes, so it's not going to get sent anywhere. The next thing it's doing is um, what I've done to store um, values in as compact way as possible. Long text fields have a very generous character limit, but there is a limit nonetheless. So instead of storing the table name and the field name, which could be quite long, I've stored them as the IDs, which have a consistent and short length. Um, that's also helpful because if you change the name of say recording date to something else um, down the line and you continue to log changes, this um, object here is not necessarily going to be able to tell that those are the same field. So logging it as the field and record IDs makes um, everything consistent as it goes. So this process here is just um, looking at my table schema finding those field IDs and replacing them with the field names. Because when I get an email, I don't really want to see IDs. I want to know which record is which and which field is which. So that's all this is doing. It's just replacing um, field and record IDs with their um, And then from there, this is a very annoying process to figure out. But what I wanted was for every unique change, record A, field A, I want to identify who cares about that record and that field. Again, in my table, that's determined by who's assigned um, to it. And it's also determined by the watch list, who I've just uh, determined cares just generally, which field I should look at or fields. And then I want to duplicate that unique change for each person that cares about it. Then I want to split that up into um, if Clark Kent is uh, subscribed to all of these different changes, I want to get all of the changes that are relevant to Clark and put them over here. And I want all of the changes that are relevant to Wally and put them over here. At the end of um, this sort of row, what I, what I will have arrived at is one email per watch list per person with every record that matters to them in a single email. And then uh, simple HTML trickery to make your email look good, and then Outlook to actually send the email. So if I run this manually, the hope is that it works. 
so we can watch it sort of go along. Um, it's now finding each change that has happened. In this case, you could tell that there's a lot that has happened, which is why it's taking a long time. There's, I think, 24 um, rows that were changed. It's then splitting it up by relevant people. It became 46 because it's the same change duplicated across who cares about that record. And then it's grouped back down. So there's only six unique people who need to be alerted, and those are their um, those are their updates, and then sending them out. And then what I'm doing at the very last step is you can see it just ran. I'm resetting this back to nothing. So the next time that I run this process, I won't be alerted of those same changes again. If I refresh my email, you should be able to see. They all say me, but um, you can see here are Diana's updates with the names of the records. And I kept the IDs just in case. And then each of the fields that changed. But if I go to Bruce's, it's a slightly different list because he's assigned to different things. Um, and then Wally's is again, a different list. This is actually a different, um, this is a different watch list entirely. Um, you can see it's not showing the other two fields because Wally doesn't care about those other two fields. But here are the changes for the one he does care. Um, and I think that's basically it. Uh, this was a long and annoying task that I've assigned myself, but so far I think I've been able to get it to work somewhat reliably. It did take three separate automations to do. <laughs> That's cool though. That's that's powerful. <laughs> what I what I was yeah. impressed with is is N88. Like just watching that, I haven't played a ton with it, but like for being an open source solution, like it looks pretty robust. It is. Um, I really like it. I did say last week that it's open source. Mild correction. It's not quite open source. It's very nearly open source. You can look at the code is what I was thinking, but you do require a special license if you wanted to reuse the code of NAN and some other thing. But my um, NAN plan um, right now, I did this entirely on their trial. I don't actually think you need a pro plan to do any of what I've shown. If you do, it's I think very fairly and reasonably priced. If you were to get it, you can self-host it or you can use their cloud solution. I'm currently using their cloud solution and they have many, many pre-existing modules. You'll notice I've interspersed um, predefined things like the filter module, which is really nice. Give me specific items from a list. Um, and the code module, which is just straight JavaScript or straight Python, if you prefer to code in Python. So very helpful, very useful. I learned it pretty quickly. And um, I recommend people just give it a shot. If you're already used to make why not try? Awesome. Very nice. Thank you, Camille. And I think that will uh, get mine on there. Oops. Where... That's never happened before. There we go. <laughs> All right.
And that concludes our, uh, our show for today. Thank you all for coming. And we will be back next week with episode three. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, OntoAir Backups, automated backups for Airtable. We'll see you next time on the Built on Air podcast.